0: I'm Sam Slater from fun Calibre, and today I've been joined by Juliet Schooling-Latter and Darius McDermott, who are going to have a chat with me about what's been happening in the third quarter of this year. So, I suppose if we start, there's been a bit of a change in leadership in terms of which funds have been doing well and which haven't, and top of the pops in the last three months has been India. In fact, I think there's something like 19 of the top 20 funds have been investing in Indian equities. What's behind this?
1: Um- Yes, I mean uh, we've been positive on India for quite some time due to various fundamentals uh, such as its you know strong demographics and as we sp- spoken about the Modi Modi government uh, being strong on reform also being positive for the economy um and one reform was the goods and services tax um and recent data um show has shown that uh, the the goods and services tax collection has risen quite considerably, um, which shows that that reform is working well and, you know, and the economy is in reasonably good health. And, and the fact makes- they're collecting
2: more taxes is because, they're you know, they they haven't locked down like we have in the West, you know, so their economy, you know, is now doing better. And that the goods and services taxes is an excellent sort of marker or observation as to, to, To to that actual improvement in the economy,
0: and Japanese funds and financials have also done well. Why is that?
2: So I think there's two different reasons here. Uh, Japanese funds is political. The uh, Prime Minister Sugar, who took over from Abe, was initially deemed popular, but his popularity just fell off the side of a cliff. And when he announced he was going to step down, another more business-friendly leader was going to take over and i think that's just been a real a simple political you know a political bounce
1: they also also um, japan's economy had struggled because of they had some sort of low levels of vaccination and and this sort of prolonged lockdown but you know their vaccination program um has kind of accelerated quite dramatically um and you know the japanese economy's sort of bounced back and and don't forget that you know Japanese companies have always been sort of frightfully conservative uh, which has sort of been markets have sort of thought that's quite negative because you know they've held on to they've had some low levels of debt and strong cash reserves but obviously that's sort of stood them in quite good stead during the pandemic and they were able to sort of quite a lot of them were able to maintain dividends. Um, Yeah
2: and well financials I, I think that, that's all to do with interest rates, which follows the sort of more stubborn inflation that we're seeing across the globe. When you get inflation, central banks generally, in history, they raise rates. One of the reasons that financials, and when we're talking about financials, I think I'm really talking about the banks. Banks have been one of the worst performing subsectors of equities for the last decade. So, yes, they had to rebuild their balance sheets from the financial crisis. But also when you're a bank, you take deposits and you loan them out and you get something called an interest rate margin and interest rates being low hasn't helped that margin for like ever. Uh, So broadly cheap valuations, hated sector, but actually potentially some gentle light at the end of the tunnel with respect to rate rises, which are now being openly discussed both in Europe and UK and the US, well, maybe not so much Europe, but US and and UK, rate rises are on the horizons. And that is a pretty binary benefit to to financials and banks in particular.
1: But obviously that's had a a negative impact on um, UK gilts and and US treasuries, because obviously sort of, you know, uh, rising yields um, has meant that their values have fallen effectively.
2: Yeah, so when the rate goes up, the yield on those government bonds goes up, but their capital tends to go down, and it's been a it's been a disappointing asset class, really, in the last year, but certainly in the last quarter, again.
0: Perhaps we could talk a little bit more about inflation. You've mentioned it there. I think it started the year with everyone saying it was going to be transitory, but it's it's still here. We're still talking about it. The, the narrative seems to be changing that we're going to have higher inflation for longer. Are you in agreement with that? And when would you expect interest rates to rise?
2: I th- certainly think inflation looks more stubborn. Uh, a majority of commentators or central bank commentary at the beginning of the year was around this transitory inflation. In, in 2020, oil price was basically went, went to $10. And when that's up to uh, sort of $50, $60, as it was at the start of the year, that single factor meant we would have inflation. But I think inflation is different in different parts of the world. And Juliet and I were discussing in our investment meeting this morning some of the issues in the UK. You know, inflation comes from two sides, sort of supply and demand. Uh, whereas in the US, actually their economy is really booming post-reopening of COVID.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think um we're in we're in sort of really uncharted waters, particularly in the UK, the combination of the pandemic and Brexit you know it's caused both labor and goods shortages um and it's it's very difficult to see how short term this will be and how long it will take for 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 it to iron itself out i think i still believe that 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 it will be ironed out perhaps more quickly than 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 people think and that central banks are likely to be nervous about raising rates too, too, too quickly and, um, and too high um, to, you know, to, to sort of impact economies that are recovering from the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, central banks saying inflation is transitory is talking up their own book. It's making it easier to not raise rates, but it has become clearer. And the governor of the Bank of England and other members of the MPC have been pointing at a December rate rise. It might not be a big rate rise, And then people also need to remember where the interest rate from the central bank in the UK is 0.1. I remember it going to 0.25 in 2009 because it was the lowest in the 250-year history of the Bank of England. Now it's even lower. So some gentle rate rises, I think, as much sends a message as opposed to, you know, interest rates aren't going to 2% this year or next, but might we see them at 1% in the end of next year, might have three or four rises, but in small little bits. So that's And as Juliet says, the UK's got, it's not so much demand, it's a supply. There are blockages in the supply chain, and that's causing prices to go up. Not just that everybody's demanding more goods, it's actually that there's less of them, hence the demand has gone up. So that's a UK-specific issue. And in the US, they're talking about early 2022 for the start of rate rises. I think when we talked about this in our meeting this morning, we're actually worried that banks, central banks might raise rates too much and then you sort of put too much water on the fire whilst we do need this economic growth post you know, all the capacity that was lost during the pandemic.
0: And one of the other things making headline recently has been the fuel shortages you've mentioned there, the supply chain issues we've got. Energy funds did very well in September. Is that linked?
2: Again, because the word energy is in both of them, it's a very easy link to make. The petrol shortages in the UK have seen petrol prices go up, and that was down to supply chain and lack of lorry drivers to physically get it from the refineries to the petrol stations. The problem was then increased by everybody queuing up on petrol for petrol they actually didn't need in the short term. That was a little bit of panic buying, which, which we have seen in the pandemic with a sort of toilet roll. but. The price particularly of gas is going up everywhere and has gone up a huge amount. That's not really linked to lack of lorry drivers in the UK. And that it is that gas price and energy rise. I mean, it's not like the the price of oil hasn't doubled in the last quarter, but the price of gas has gone up more than double.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is this is obviously a a sort of a a reopening of economies issue, um, which uh, it it, it seems amazing that it's taken everyone by surprise. Really, that there was a sudden surge in demand, but it's been exacerbated by um, a few other issues. Cold weather here in in Europe and in Asia earlier in the year um, didn't help. Also. we we have 25% of our energy in the uk comes from wind and we haven't we haven't had enough wind here would you believe it so uh, there are uh, various um factors at play here and uh, w- which have sent sent things higher and not aided by the fact that you know opec doesn't want to Boost oil production, um, having had you—you you might remember that oil did go actually sort of negative back at the height of the pandemic, uh, and and now has gone to over eighty dollars a barrel. So uh, yeah. I think OPEC's reluctant to to sort of produce too much. So uh, again, I think this is something that will be ironed out, but it's obviously sort of um, frustrating and 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 very negative for businesses uh, currently.
2: Yes, and the other big supplier of gas to Europe is, is Russia. And there is also potential political horse trading around that. So all the bits and pieces that Juliet mentioned around you know, that sort of short-term demand increases, there's, there's a number of factors, and, but I think on energy prices, it's both supply and demand factors hitting at the same time, which has seen as huge rise in gas prices, which has linked into the very, very strong performance of energy funds you know, in the quarter.
0: And the other thing that's been going on in markets has obviously been China and the Chinese government uh, clamping down on various sectors. I think I read recently that there were 30 regulatory in- interventions in August and another 24 in the first two weeks of September alone. What What's going on? And should investors be worrying about China right now? Well, China, I mean, China isn't a democracy,
1: which is something that investors can be forgiven for forgetting, given how sort of strongly capitalist their, their economy has become. Uh, and the Chinese government isn't afraid of flexing its muscles, um, particularly if it sec- thinks the sector has become too powerful. Uh, and that is what it's been doing recently, cracking up, down on, on various different sectors. And this obviously makes investors nervous, understandably. And uh, so, you know, they do... Require sort of extra risk premium to 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 invest there, and we've also seen um, the the large property developer Evergrande sort of uh, defaulting. So um, that's that's leading to, to to problems in the real estate sector, um, which is quite quite a large part of of the Chinese economy.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's two issues here, aren't there? In the last quarter, the firstly was the clamping down on the education sector by the Chinese government. And the one thing the Chinese government are fairly transparent at is they had said in previous manifestos that they didn't want the private education secretary to be for profit. And then it went for profit and then they stopped it. So they're sort of guilty of doing exactly what they said. they're right. Jules is absolutely right. It's just not a democracy. And they have the power to do exactly what they say they're going to do and in fairly swift order. Then the second thing is this huge debt, big property company, Evergrande. They have loads of debt held by Chinese institutions, but also foreign institutions. And it's the foreign institutions that they've been refusing to pay their interest on. Property is a huge part of Chinese GDP. And the Chinese government wants to keep prices down on Chinese property so it can be affordable for the masses. So it's a very interesting time. But we in our investments that we make on the funds that we advise to have never held China directly. But you could see this cascading and you know some of the Chinese investment trusts might start trading. They're trading at about a 10% discount. I think if that gets to 30, it starts to become a very attractive entry point. It may not get there, but China still as a central bank has some weapons it can, you know, pull. Interest rates are not at those record lows that we've been discussing, uh, as in Europe and, and, and UK and, uh, and the US. So they, they've got some level, some space on rates, uh, but a combination of a overtly strict regime with respect to the education stocks, with then this massive property company, it's the second biggest property company in China, not paying its obligated interest to, to investors really is sending a, a really big signal to the markets. Most of our investors and people who come to the Fund Calibre website probably get their India and China exposure via an Asian fund or an emerging markets fund. And there you're really looking for your fund manager to to, to be nimble and you know going in and out of, of those sectors as best. But of all the managers I think we've heard from recently, nobody is writing China off, and I think it would be, a state to write China off.
0: And just finally, we're sort of heading into the last couple of months of the year. How are you feeling? Positive, negative?
2: Well, this, I mean, that's a perfect question for Juliet and I, know, because Juliet's always positive and I'm not say, always negative, but I'm quite cautious at the moment. I think valuations are expensive. I don't want to own bonds uh, with interest rates, with inflation that is, is here for a while. Okay. We don't have to say for how long and at what rate, but it's here for a while. Inflation means interest rate rises, which are bad for bonds. Not all bonds; higher yield bonds do have some attractiveness. If I'm getting paid five or six percent, hold a higher yield bond or higher yield bond fund, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable with that. U.S. equities are as expensive as they've ever been in history. I mean, Europe, you look at sort of some of the European funds have had a really strong 2021. UK has been the laggard market, but I think we can understand why. So. I'm a little bit cautious. I want to have a bit of cash for potentially buying some market corrections. But I'm not talking about going 40 50% in cash because markets have proved me wrong over many, many time periods before and no doubt they will do so again. So yeah, I'm on the slightly cautious side of, of, of the next quarter. Jules, I know you, you, you tend to think a bit differently to me on this.
1: Well, yes, um, I, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd like to, sound like i've got a different opinion um but i am also a little bit cautious at the moment um i suppose it's 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 difficult when we're, we're looking at you know the the petrol pumps being closed and everybody talking about christmas shortages it, it's hard to feel positive at the moment but having said that companies are doing well and once we can we can iron out these energy shortages and so forth you know economies should should do quite well and you have to think where do you put your money because if you're putting it in the bank you're not getting anything at the moment
0: that was really interesting thank you both very much and if you'd like to find out more about our views please go to funcalibre.com and don't forget to subscribe to the investing on the go podcast please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you it's not a recommendation to buy or to sell the fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening